Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. On today's Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Caggiano is going to talk about some of the details of his plan for the diocese and reaching out to Catholics to bring them back into the church and to reignite the fire among Catholics here in Bridgeport. In the second segment, we'll talk about a movie that he and I each separately watched recently called The Social Dilemma. It's a movie on Netflix about the problem of social media. Before we get there, have you checked out Restless yet? It's on Veritas Catholic Network every Friday at noon. Restless features four 30-year-olds, Father Joseph Gill and three friends, and they talk every week about stuff that matters to young adults. Um, work, family, relationships, life as a Catholic young adult in today's society. So tune in Fridays at noon on 1350 AM or download the Veritas Catholic Network app and listen to the podcast. More information is at www.veritascatholic.com. All right, and welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, everybody. It is my pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it is always good to be with you, my friend. And we're going to have an exciting conversation today, I think. This should be good. Uh, <laughs> we, you threw a little curveball. I had prepared for some one thing, and we're going to talk about something completely different, so no preparation on my part. But that doesn't matter, because it's your show anyway, so... <laughs> no, but it, it allows the Holy Spirit to be the, the, the real host here, no? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. Let me, let me ask you first, uh, Excellency. Last Friday was the modified virtual March for Life. Mm-hmm. Have you ever mm-hmm. been... I have, uh, to be honest, no, I have not gone to Washington and um, for a whole host of reasons. It's mm-hmm. not that I don't support the, the march. I certainly do support the march wholeheartedly. It's just that at this time of year, usually is when I'm involved with a lot of different projects. Um, and so it's hard to get down to Washington. Yeah. Um, so I, I've offered mass for the young people of the diocese um, before they go. This year, of course, we, we couldn't. And right. this year, though, we do have the opportunity to um, to join them virtually. So the, when we post this podcast, it would be post-fact. My hope is that people would join me in joining the March virtually because there's no reason not to now. You're not yeah. traveling. You literally just sit in your chair and you lend your voice of support, right? So exactly. hopefully people did that. Exactly. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, definitely. Um, Okay, so let's let's jump into uh, today's um, subjects, and for the first segment, I want to ask mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, you've been talking, we've been we've been talking over the course of this show, the year that we've been on the air, and you've been talking about um, your plan for mm-hmm. the diocese, mm-hmm. and it seems mm-hmm. like it's coming together. Mm-hmm. So tell us what's tell us what you have. Yeah, I, uh, I had the occasion to discuss it with the priests, the deacons, and the religious. And so now this gives me an opportunity to kind of lay it out to the larger audience, our, our lay faithful, and those who listen to the podcast. It, it, I have often said, and we've discussed the fact that the pandemic, with all its suffering, is also an opportunity for renewal, in part because since everything is changed around us, that we can no longer say, we've always done it this way, therefore we are doomed to keep doing it this way. But the Lord may have something new in store. 
So in order for, for me to explain what is on my heart that I'd like to do over the next five to 10 years, so in effect, this will cover the rest of my Episcopal ministry, in effect. Um, I, I'm going to offer two scripture passages first. And I'm going to ask those who are listening to the podcast and everyone basically to reflect on these images, right? The first is the upper room. And as we know, in Jesus's ministry, the upper room was very significant. It was in the upper room that the Lord held the Last Supper, gave us the sacrament that is basically um, the sacrament of our salvation, where we participate in grace in the death and resurrection of the Lord by receiving his body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's also in the upper room where the apostles gathered in prayer, having seen the resurrection of the Lord, or, I, or having encountered the risen Lord, but not yet having received the Holy Spirit. So one would say they were believers, but they did not yet have the fire, the divine fire, to get out of the comfort of the room and fight the battle of faith, right? To invite people to witness. And almost all of them but one were martyred, okay? So I wanna keep that image, I'll come back to it. The second image I want people to pray over is the image in the last of the great miracles in the Gospel of John, Jesus finds himself at the tomb of his friend, Lazarus. And Jesus orders the stone to be rolled away. And he cries out for Lazarus to come out. And Steve, in my mind, in my heart, that is another place the Lord is asking us to go. Imagine ourselves standing with the Lord Jesus. What did we expect? Who do we expect to come out of that tomb? What did he look like? And then Jesus says to, to the people around him, untie him and let him go free. Two distinct but related commands. Untie him of everything that holds him back. Let him go free to go forth to do what the Lord wants of him. So, Everything I'm about to say hangs on those two moments in sacred scripture. Right. So what are we about? I've said it before. I am firmly convinced that as we move forward, easing our way, please God, out of this pandemic, as we go back to what used to be quote-unquote normal, what we will find is things are not normal. They, they do not go back to the way they were. And if the one-third, one-third, one-third rule applies, we have one-third of our people back at Mass. One-third, please God, will come back to Mass as the restrictions start to lift. And one-third, we will have to go invite to come back to Mass, to invite to come back into active worship in the Church. And it is that one-third that, that is very dear to my heart because many of those individuals may be reluctant to come back, not simply because of safety protocols, but because of the burdens they carry or the questions they have or the hurts that they've endured. And there is a ministry to be made that will reach out to those individuals and help them to find what they're looking for so they can come back with both feet firmly and fervently in the life of the church.
So now, this first phase is all about the upper room. Everyone who is involved in the church coming to Mass, those who are watching it virtually, those who are in and out intermittent, what I'd like to do is ask everyone to imagine the Lord is gathering us in the upper room so that we might be personally strengthened, that our prayer life may be deepened, that our spiritual life may grow in this time while we are awaiting the ability to go out, literally, physically, to go out into the world. Okay? And we're going to do that in different ways. But I am convinced that we're going to start it, it's going to rise and fall on an opportunity for, for people to experience the Eucharist, to be catechized about the Eucharist, to experience the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass in such a way that if they have embers of faith, the embers will become fire. Fire of faith, it will become a bonfire of faith. That this is the time the Lord is going to sit with us quietly, one-on-one, in the small communities of our families, in the upper room, and he's going to feed us and strengthen us. While we're doing that, there is a need to do two things. The first is to prepare those who are going to go out for the invitational ministry. And the word I'm going to use to describe them is ambassadors. Paul says, I am ambassador of Christ. I'm going to ask for volunteers. Whether they come to the program we will create in the diocesan level, or whether with their pastor they will do it on their parish level. A program that will be both in person for prayer and virtual for catechesis. A program designed to deepen their own personal life of faith, their relationship with the Lord, their relationship with the church, and also give them an opportunity to learn ever more deeply the great mystery of reconciliation, sacrament of reconciliation penance, the great mystery of the Eucharist itself, and to be able to be taught some skills that you will need to literally be a missionary in your own parish. And we're going to give the option to the pastors to run the same program we will run on the diocesan level in their individual parishes. So you don't have to come to the diocese to do this. The program is going to be built on The Search, which is a seven-part series created by the Augustan Institute. And it's really a deep dive into one's relationship with God, asking the basic questions. What is the purpose of my life? How do I make sense of death? What does God mean to me? Who is Jesus Christ to me? What does it mean to be part of the community of believers? I mean, questions you would say, well, Bishop, we all know the answer. Well, it's time to make sure we know the answers and we could say them clearly and not just say them, but mean them and feel them, right? And then from there, we're going to offer multiple opportunities through the Augustine Institute and so many others where there will be online catechesis and in-person formation so that we can get people ready. Now, in order to do this, those who are going to be going out with their pastors on their own, at my call, at my suggestion, 
They need to form communities of faith amongst themselves, and that is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to give them the tools to form prayer groups, groups that will support each other in fraternity and prayer. Because you know what, Steve? If you and I went out, please God, starting in early fall, and you knock on someone's door and invite them back to home to the parish, we are going to get an earful. We could even get the kitchen sink thrown at us. Because there will be anger, there will be question, there will be resentment, they'll talk about the abuse crisis, they'll talk about the church's moral teachings, they'll talk about all this stuff going on, the divisions in the church. You don't know what the response is going to be. But that personal engagement is telling that person, you mean enough to us, we care enough about you, you matter to us, that we want to come to you and sit and ask, you once were, can, can you come back? And can we help you to come back? And maybe answer your questions. Maybe sit with you in the, in, the, in the feelings you have of being betrayed or wounded or angry. It's all about the ministry of Jesus. So those communities have to be formed. And we have to give the tools so that these individuals, as they're trained, also develop a sense amongst themselves that they are supports to each other. It's like... The, the disciples going out together. Right? And then we have to give them spiritual tools, like spiritual direction as well. So you can imagine these people become modern-day apostles. Right? And all of that will be rolling out between March and summer. And then there's a second complementary, and then I'll stop, second complementary piece. And that is, in the diocesan pastoral council, which I formed, which is basically lay leaders from different par parishes in, in the diocese, they are absolutely correct when they said to me recently, the difficulty with a lot of individuals who were once baptized Catholics who stopped practicing the faith long ago is that they don't believe the church is relevant. They may believe the Lord Jesus is relevant. They may seek a relationship with him, but they have no, no one has given them a real sense of why the community is necessary to do that. So if the community is not relevant, then any invitation to be part of it is almost meaningless. And their excellent insight was, Bishop, as we all are invited to deepen our prayer life. And when these individuals that are going to come forward, they're going to do some more intensive formation. How do we listen to what those things are that are preventing people from seeing us as relevant? How are we going to listen so that we can be ready to respond? And that, quite frankly, we're only beginning to schematize what that can look like. Right? When I first came to the diocese, I had listening sessions. For the synod, I had listening sessions. I wondered to myself if we could not in some way, shape, or form invite people to do the same thing, leaders, pastors, myself, virtually, perhaps in person if things become better in the months ahead, to allow people to raise these questions so that we can begin to formulate an answer that makes sense, that's compelling, that shows relevance. So all of that is what's being planned just in phase one, in what I call the upper room. Because it's all designed to have us ready in our own way 
to go out into the world. Going out into the world is when we go to the tomb of Lazarus. Now, let me stop there. Do you have any questions? Does this no, make sense to you? It, it makes sense. I love what you're saying. It's, um, you know, you look at, uh, obviously you've seen, our listeners have seen the numbers of people leaving the church. Uh, even the, I think it was Pew Research Center who did um, the, uh, the research that showed that a majority of Catholics don't even believe in the real presence. And I mm-hmm. wonder if that's a, a, um, a lack of catechesis, which I don't think so. I think people, Catholics know that, yeah, I'm supposed to believe that that's what it is, or I'm, I know that the church teaches this. But, or if it's actually a lack of um, actual experience of Jesus and the community the way it's supposed to be. And that's, that's right where you're, right where you're yeah. aiming. Right. If you, if, if, there's many different reasons. Uh, not to get too philosophical, but um, many people have difficulty coming to understand how an historic event can have eternal significance. Hmm. How can the meal in the upper room have an eternal significance to me? So you're saying to me, it's the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. Logically, if you are of the world, apart from faith, it would make more sense to say that's a sign or a symbol. But it's not a sign and it's not a symbol. It's the real presence of Jesus because that one historic meal has significance, has a life that extends forever. But the modern person who does not have, who has not struggled with that question may have very, may may just simply come to the conclusion, it's not that important because it's a little different than any other symbol. Yeah. But we've never raised that question how can an historic event have eternal significance? Right? How can reason and faith be related? See, this is the sort of upper room stuff we need to start struggling, especially with our young people. How do you, how do you hold the two together and say that truth is bigger than what reason can determine and faith reveals a portion of the truth? Yeah. Right? And it's all subject to the truth who is Jesus Christ. So you don't have to be afraid of reason because he's the Lord of reason as he is the Lord of all things. Yeah. See, we haven't spoken about that in 50 years. So people, essentially you mentioned the Pew Report, people believe, we've mentioned this before, people believe what they believe because they think that's what the church teaches. So there's a whole group of Catholics who believe the Eucharist is just symbolic because they believe that is what the church teaches. <laughs> so, so my question is, who taught them that? Right. Where's the greater failure? Right. So the upper room is all about spiritual renewal. And then we're going to go out. And what are we going to do? We're going to do what Jesus told the people around Lazarus. We're going to first untie, second, set free. So what's untie? We got to address head on all the things that are holding us back as a community of believers in faith. We have to finally get this untied. On the top of the list is the residual damage 
that was done by the abuse crisis and quite frankly, by the failure of leadership to address it. That trust has been broken in many hearts. We cannot go forward until we help those individuals to talk freely about how hurt they are and to help them <coughs> to deal, to heal, to move forward. <coughs> there are other things that need to be untied as well. And I'll give you a perfect example, okay? We have a situation in the church now where our pastors are being crushed with the pastoral work they're supposed to do, the administrative work that now exists, okay, and all the other responsibilities that they are, that literally, they are asked to do almost an impossible set of duties. So they need to be challenged, and we as a church need to untie them to be pastors first. And to tell to the lay faithful, many of whom are, we, are ready and willing to help, to give them their rightful place in all of the temporalities and administration of the church, which quite frankly, they can do better than most pastors. They could probably do far better than I ever could. <clears throat> we have to figure out how to do that so that we're not competitors, we're brothers and sisters together. Yeah. Moving the vision. They need to be untied so that they can spend their time for what they love to do and what they were ordained to do. Yes. Right? Yeah. And there are other things we need to sit down and say, what is it that's holding us back? We have to untie those things. Even some very frank conversations, right, that we have, we have not had for a very long time, okay, about what is the proper and rightful place for leadership with, for women in our church and how do we affect that, right? Because they have gifts and talents that must be put into leadership in the church, right? Because then to go, be set free is where all the creativity comes. And we're only at the beginning of what that could look like. We've talked about some of that. So, so it's premature to talk about that. But I think right now it's, it's time where we strengthen ourselves, those who are the hardy, courageous ones, we're going to give them all the tools they need. They will be ready to go out. And we have to have some really hard conversations. Listen and say, what is going to hold us back that prevents us from going out and giving this compelling invitation and witness to the world? If you know, Steve, if we could do all that, do you know what will happen in the church? It'd be amazing. There will be an explosion of growth in the church. Yeah. Right? So the time has come. That's what I'm calling the diocese to do. I'm so excited, sometimes I can't even speak about it, honestly, which is an extraordinary thing for me to say, but <laughs> it, because I could feel it. I could feel it in my bones. I could feel it, that this is a moment so pregnant with hope. If only yeah. we will rise to the occasion. And we got to start with ourselves and our relationship with the Lord. So, so um, when, when my you apostolic exhortation's coming out on Ash Wednesday. Okay, just what a couple that, weeks. A week and a half? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yep. Mm -hmm. So when you say that you're going to uh, uh, train people and then send them out, um, mm -hmm. do you mean door-to-door? -door? Oh, it could be anything. 
Absolutely. It could be anything. See, let's say, for example, you're at St. Mary's in Richfield, right? Yes. So let's say there are 20 people from St. Mary's who say, yeah, I want to do this. This sounds so crazy. I want to do it. This sounds so, this is such a call to heroism, to courageous witness. I'm in. I want to see how far, how far I can go. Okay. Let's say the 20 of you with Monsignor decide, you know what? We're going to do a phone outreach to all the people who have not been going to Mass. And in the phone reach, we're going to offer an opportunity to come visit and then actually go to these people's homes. Let's say we do this in the summer. We do this in early fall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could literally be going into someone's home with a cup of coffee and say, okay, let's talk. I love that. You know, I did, I did uh, several years of door-to-door work when I was in my early 20s for the church, for the mm -hmm. Catholic church. Um, people were surprised to see the Catholics, but... Uh, you know, we approached them because we were all uh, teenagers or in our early 20s. And we approached with the idea, um, hey, what intentions do you have that we can pray for? And that was a, a soft way to get in. And people would tell us and they'd, we'd say, let's do it right now. And then we'd pray with them. And they'd say, gosh, where are you? Well, we're stationed at, you know, such and such Catholic church, you know, three blocks away. Right. You should come down. Right. And right. and. Excellency, as I'm sure you know, what that does, not only for the people who are being visited, but for the missionaries themselves, I mean. Right. And sometimes, my friend, you need not do anything else but make yourself available to the family members of a friend for whom the friend cannot do it, but you can. Think of all of our children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews, and friends who are troubled in their relationship with the church, that are not comfortable coming to the church. I, I could, quite frankly, these ambassadors, these missionaries, there's a ton of work just to do within our own families for the ones who are active in the church, even before you go to the ones who are not coming to church. I mean, there are levels and levels deeper that, that's why I said it's 510, this could be 25 year experiment. But you know what? Could you imagine if half the Catholics in Fairfield County went to church? Our mass population pre-pandemic would go from 68,000 to 230,000 people. Wow. 230,000 people. Imagine the leaven for change in society in this county. Imagine the good, just imagine the call of invitation to salvation in Jesus Christ in the church. Could you imagine what we could do? Yeah. I, this is, yeah, this is, this is the moment. This is the moment. Yep. Excellency, yep. let's, Without let's. Doubt. Let's take a break. We can continue this conversation uh, when we come back on Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in. And let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. 
Um, Excellency, we're, we're going to talk about um, a movie that you saw and I separately also saw recently. I just want to say one more thing about what you um, were talking about in the first segment. You know, Mother Angelica used to say, if Catholics would just act like Catholics, you know, imagine what would happen in this world. And the people in, in ancient Rome looked at the early Christians and even before they heard the Kerygma, they would say, look at how they love one another. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Of course. And we all... And, and you know... It, Go ahead, Excellency. It, it, if I may just say this, I think we've said before, those who are angry with the church, um, they care enough to be angry. Those indifferent to the church are going to be the hardest group to, to engage. But even they can be engaged. Because what we need to remember is that the Lord, in the revelation that he gave us, in the offer of salvation, is answering the most fundamental question of every human life. Those questions are inescapable. You could deny them, you could avoid them, you could run from them. But sooner or later, you have no choice but to face them. Yeah. And therefore, what we have, the truth of our faith, is not the problem. But it is, if I may say so bluntly, it is the contradicted or compromised witness of Christians. It is the communities that have become lukewarm, that are not inviting, where the institutions only, the institution's main concern is to perpetuate the institution and not preach the gospel. That has become the problem. Yes. Yeah. Right? And therefore, the leaven of renewal is to have, um, it's, it's the age-old tension between charism and institution. We are always going to be an institution because we're a community that needs to be organized and that organization is divinely given to us. But the challenge is for all the occupants of leadership on every level, including lay leadership, has to be spiritually alive, spiritually in relationship with the Lord for the institution to become transparent. Okay, When we are sinning, the institution becomes an end in itself. And that's when people become angry. Hmm. But if, 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 you, if I love you and I ask you to do something, my love will be an invitation and your love in return will compel you to do it even if you don't necessarily otherwise would want to do it. Yeah. So when the institution tells you you have to do this, it's not compelling. But when a community alive in faith, mirroring the Lord Jesus says, this is what you need to do to find true joy in life, you'll do it. It's so important because what you're saying is, Everybody, no matter what your background, what your faith, what your beliefs, everybody has is asking, why am I here? Uh, where am I going? And how do I get there? And we have the answer. And it's our right. duty to share that. Right. Right. Awesome. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. So now. Yes. The movie you were alluding to. All right. Yes. Uh, uh, allow me to give this segue. One of the things we have to discern in that listening section, that portion now in that upper room experience, that to listen is how do we take the best of technology 
and continue to use it in service of the gospel and avoid all of the um, excesses, perhaps even the dangers associated with it, so that we do not throw the baby with the bathwater. So we become cost-effective and we think we're doing the work of the gospel when we're actually hurting people in the process. So that's the dilemma. And the movie of which you were referring to is called The Social Dilemma. That is on Netflix. Now, I'm not a big Netflix watcher. I don't do a lot of that stuff. Okay. Actually, to be honest, the movies I liked, I like Ken Burns. I think he mm. is a brilliant, brilliant um, director and creator of documentaries. Yeah. His documentaries are just superb. I, it, I absolutely love to listen and watch, his, even on PBS. All right. But every once in a while, I watch Netflix. And uh, about a week ago, my nephew invited me to watch this with him, and we did. And a spoiler alert now, if someone who's listening to this podcast does not want to know what the movie's about, I suggest you turn it off, say Hail Mary, turn it off because we're done because I'm going to talk about what it actually does. So I hope I don't spoil anyone. But you should go <laughs> right? see the movie. Yes, absolutely. I agree. And I'm going to start and I want you to, to add on to it, Steve. I, it, what's fascinating about The Social Dilemma is this. It is basically both the documentary slash drama and it features some of Relative, they're relatively all young, I think, but some of the prime movers of the social media platform that helped create aspects of it. That now, having seen what has developed over the last number of years, are beginning to have some real questions about the direction moving forward. Right? So to hear it from their mouth is extremely convincing and, con and extremely concerning. So what's the point? I guess the best way to describe it is this. I did not know this, that the business model for social media in all its forms is that it collects all the data it possibly can on individual users so that through the use of artificial intelligence and algorithms, it can actually predict how you as an individual may respond to certain stimuli that is placed before you. That is important because that ability can be sold to advertisers and to others. So Frank Caggiano, I don't know, likes dogs, planes, and murder mysteries. I'm making that up. Okay, my life is, it could not be that exciting, all right? But anyway, so I go to the Vatican website, I go all that stuff, but it's so I'm probably useless on this enterprise. But, <laughs> and if I go on a um, hundred times in a week, and in my Twitter feed and my social media, I interact with friends that are mine that I constantly do. And the messaging that I do has a certain theme to it or multiple themes to it. If someone's collecting all of that information, it's actually getting a pattern of me, my likes, my dislikes, what's attractive to me, what's not attractive to me, what gathers my attention, what doesn't. 
So you may say, well, so then you know me, right? I have nothing to hide. What is what it is. But what's interesting is if the same technology or complementary technology can then predict my behavior, suddenly we're in a different world. Because if it was a passive reality, that is, I keep sending stuff and hope I could gather Frank's attention is one thing. If it becomes an active intervention, it says, I know he will respond to this, therefore let me send him this and that related, and that related, and that related item. Suddenly now, this platform is moving me, me in a certain direction that I'm not aware of. Precisely perhaps to consume or to react or to whatever else it may be. Is that a fair way of describing the movie, Steve? Yeah, yeah. And yep. And it was it uh so relevant to today because it was also uh part of it highlighted how, for example, Facebook is one of the main and first places that people will go for news. But Facebook will take what its knowledge of you and tailor the news that you see so you only see one side of the story and the extreme version of that story, as a, as a matter of fact. Right. Which right. increases right. the polarization in society. Right. Right. So there's the danger. So now this is where the dilemma is. Just like we have said before, a heresy in the church is a half-truth. What is, being, is, what is not being claimed is that there are outright lies. No. But to your point, what's being claimed is not, there may not be the full set of facts to a certain situation being given, only a certain amount of them that could lead the user based on his preferences or her preferences to come up with a conclusion that the very algorithm can predict because it's going to affect your behavior. Mm-hmm. Either... A political choice, a choice to buy something, a choice to affiliate with a certain organization. It's So the danger here is that we've set ourselves up that we can be manipulated in ways that are subtle and totally unknown yeah. to billions of people. Now, there's two things in this movie that I will say very specifically, so I'm sorry if I spoil it for anyone, but there's one line that just struck me. Okay. It says, there are only two industries that, that employ the word user to describe its customers. Illegal drugs and social media. And I thought, whoa. Now, it's a parable, right? The, social media didn't, use, didn't come up with the word user because it, 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 it was intentionally at the beginning saying, I want to dick these people. But in fact... This sort of, of behind-the-scenes mechanism can very much feed the addiction we see growing in people with social media because of the feedback loop, right? Yes. Because if, if you're going on and being affirmed, then there's going to be the dopamine that's released so that you want to be affirmed more and you want to be affirmed more. and you want, It's no different than any other addiction, whether it's alcohol or whatever else. And so not only does it affect your behavior, but it actually entices you to affect your behavior even more. Right? Yeah. So, so what do we do about it? 
Beyond the same time, social media is essentially important because it keeps people communicated. You can find things about family, ancestry. You could keep up with friends. You could share their moments of joy and sorrow. I mean, there's tremendous good there. So how, the dilemma is, how do you protect the good and take care of what could be all of these other unknown, ill-conceived, or even malicious consequences to social media? And why is this relevant for us? It's because there's not a parent or grandparent who's listening to this podcast, all right? Or, or an aunt and or uncle or godfather or godmother who has young children or teenagers or uh, friends who are not like just gun-ho. And you say, but, but like, yeah, what's going on here? Like, where's your freedom to be able to step away from it? Yeah, even adults, not just kids. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I watched I watched the movie. I didn't I didn't watch it. I was listening to it because my son. I was driving my son to college a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and he, okay. I, I made him turn it on on his phone and watch it, and we had it on the speakers in the car so I could hear it. Um, I didn't know that it was going to be about the news and the and the um, the easy way that social media spreads and fuels conspiracy theories. The reason I turned it on was because of what you're talking about now, Excellency, which is, I mean, if you haven't seen the movie, you got to watch it because it's actually former uh, technology executives from Google, Facebook, YouTube, who are talking about the systems they designed to make these platforms addictive. And they do also talk about the mental health issues and the depression that comes from that. Um but yeah, it's it, so it's kids, but it's also adults too. Absolutely, and I think there is a sense that they they launch something which now um, needs guidance and regulation is really the, the end result of the whole thing. Yes. Is that like every other industry that that begins? It, it's the wild wild west until you have enough experience to say we cannot continue in this direction and we need to regulate this so that the good portion of the dilemma can be maintained and the negative consequences can be mitigated. So no one is suggesting, I'm not suggesting that we should not use social media. What I'm suggesting is this movie has provoked a question for all Christians to think through carefully because untie them and let them go free. Yes. Okay. That's a divine command from the mouth of the creator of all things, even the internet. <laughs> so, so we can't, we can't ignore the issues involved and we have to be thoughtful about how to use it. But in the meantime, why I felt very strongly to raise this question is because if you're a parent listening to this, while we're waiting for society to get its act together, what do you do? So Steve, I'm gonna throw it in your lap. You have children, what do you do? Like, how do, how do you allow them to use social media so they see the benefit and not have them fall into some of this manipulation that can occur? Yeah. I think every parent has to face that question. Yes. Yep. Yeah. In, mm -hmm. I mean, in our house, I, have a, uh, I still have a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old, and they don't have any social media accounts. Um, mm -hmm. They have, uh, the 14-year-old has a, an iPhone, and the... Uh, 11 year old has a, an iPad mini, but we strictly monitor and regulate how they use them. 
mm-hmm. it's harder with my 18 year old because now he's off at college and but we've we kind of you know tried to do our best before we said okay now you're responsible for yourself mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you know even my 18 year old watching this this the social dilemma he started off being like oh it's one of these dad <laughs> like a life lesson on the way to college but when he shut it off he kind of was quiet and he just went wow that was really good And so I, 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 would, I would have, a, a, you know, I shouldn't give advice because I don't have any children of my own. But from my pastoral experience, I would say this. I think when children and teenagers, um, when they use social media, there has to be a monitoring. There have to be safeguards in place. You cannot allow them to go into the wild, wild west because what this show demonstrates is that there are many villains in the wild, wild west just waiting, just yeah. waiting. The other thing too is there's an ancient tradition in the church of fasting for spiritual health. And I think periodically every, all of us should consciously and deliberately fast from social media, whether it is for 24 hours or 48 hours, engage your reaction as the time goes by to the fast. Be brutally honest, because if it becomes an overwhelming preoccupation, then you have already crossed the line for which you need to deal with. Yes. Right? That means someone or something has gotten to the point where they are robbing your freedom, and no one should allow anyone to do that. Yeah. So that's an exercise I would heartily recommend maybe once or twice a year, myself included. Yeah. Right? That's a great, Mm -hmm. great piece of advice. Mm -hmm. If I could add, Excellency, for for parents, and I've never been nominated for Parent of the Year, so who am I? But um, for for my wife and me, one of the things we, if social media is going to be a part of our kids' generation's social interactions, a part of their life, then we decided that we are going to guide them along the way and kind of give them, just like you would for you know table manners or how you act in public or things like that, just say, okay, let's, let's talk about how you interact online. How do you respond to things? Where do you stay away from? Things like that. I mean, so just taking you know, thousands of years of parenting and applying it to the social world, the online world. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And the other thing is, there is a phenomenon in social media, there's a phenomenon in this technological platform of anonymity, which is very dangerous. And what I mean by that is, I am aware of some of my friends who have aliases online. So they have their own profile, and then they have a created profile. Hmm. Lots of young people do that too. Yeah. Because they think the alias protects them, but it doesn't protect them. Because the same manipulation may be occurring. So the fact that you made your name, you know, I don't know, uh, Joe Smith, doesn't really matter much. And if you think you hide that I'm 25 years old and when I'm 12, whatever, in the end, they're still, they are smarter than you are. Yes. 
And these, and this artificial intelligence behind it all can discern many times when there is anonymity going on. There is no protection there. And so therefore, we have to make sure that our kids particularly, but even adults, you know, if you're going to be online, you should be you. Yeah. And you should, you should be you. Right? And, and when you are you, you could be mindful of what you do and where you go. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, because even driving my car with a rosary hanging from the rear view mirror makes me act differently towards other drivers because there's no anonymity, right? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And one other thing, too, the, 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 the scariest proposition of the whole thing is, and I must confess, I've been reflecting on this. Um, how do you know, in, in the landscape we described, how do you know that what's being said to you is actually true? Right. How do you know it's not partially true? How do you know it's not an outright lie? Yeah. Because if they, if they, if, 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 if somebody who had malevolent intent, uh, followed the scenario, purchased your profile and wanted you to believe something that is to their advantage, whether it's true or not, and could discern how to get you to believe it by your very preferences and behavior, how in the end would you know it's not true? Now that, my friend, is a new frontier. Yeah. And when people have to say that what I'm telling you is true, that it's not fake, that it's not partial, in a suspicious world, one would say, okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, but how do I know, in fact, you're telling me the truth? Yeah. And that is a new reality for us. Yeah. So if and therefore the cap- the capital riots could very well have been a result of that. Yes, exactly. So if you're listening and you haven't seen it, check out Netflix has its problems, but uh, if you can get your hands at least to watch the social dilemma, it's definitely worth your while. Um, if nothing else, it itself may not be totally accurate. Right. <laughs> so let's be honest, right? But the premise is plausible. And the questions are worth reflecting on. For all of us as Christians, as believers, as parents, as grandparents, it's well worth the time to just raise the questions and sit with them, think, th- think it through. Because um, if we're going to address it as a society or as parents, we have to start thinking about it now, how to do that correctly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Let's take one more break uh, and then we'll have a listener question for, for you, Bishop Frank, when we come back. Why do we need Catholic Radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic Radio's there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, Excellency, this is fun conversation. Uh, and mm-hmm. as you said, we'll probably get some good responses to it. Yeah, thank God they send them to you and not to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so for for the listener question, uh, th- this is actually, we got an, a few of these similar questions. So I just put them into one. Um, basically, we got some listeners who are asking, when will you lift the dispensation on mass? Another way it was worded was, when will you reinstate the obligation to go to mass? Right. Okay. So excellent question. And we've spoken about this before. My hope and prayer would be that the obligation itself should not be the compelling reason people would come to Mass. They should come to Mass because they love the Lord Jesus and want to be with Him and they want to receive His body and blood, soul, and divinity. However, we still need an obligation because human nature is the way it is. Now, what prevents me from reimposing the obligation is the inability to assure that those once obliged to come to Mass can actually come to Mass, that there's enough occupancy to do that. Mm -hmm. The governor has issued a new executive order lifting the capacity, and we've worked out those details. So that has increased, that is one huge step forward towards the reimposition of the obligation. So the answer to the question is this. Soon after the publication of the, of, uh, the pastoral exhortation, I would like to, and I'm planning to, publish the protocols necessary that have to be met before the obligation can be reimposed. In other words, if these conditions are met, then the obligation will be reimposed. So everyone knows what, what are the criteria and what's the thinking. And it could happen relatively soon. It could happen a, a while into the future. Much depends on the progress of allowing more and more groups to come together safely in this pandemic. And I'll give you a perfect example. We are making progress in Connecticut. Hospitalizations are going down. The positivity rate in the last few weeks was only 4.44%. In the latest week I saw was 3.7%. We are making progress. Now, what's unknown, South African variant, UK variant, Brazilian variant, hmm. that much more infectious, that much more deadly. The, the news reports I read is that the, 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 uh, the um, South uh, uh, African variant may be resistant to the vaccine. Hmm. So much so that Moderna is now creating a booster. Hmm. They're researching a booster to the existing vaccine. So those complications, I, I just don't know what was going to happen. But I think everyone should be clear that if you can go and you are comfortable, then you should. If you have legitimate reason, you shouldn't stay home to protect life. And when the obligation comes, it should come in a time when everyone should feel that they can come, there's space for them to come, and they could do it in a safe way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It always seemed to me that your your lifting of that obligation was meant to, because of the, the capacity issue, but also specifically for the, for the vulnerable. Without so, a doubt. Yeah. In other words, our elderly, who are, are more faithful, should not have to literally angst over 
the fear of creating a, of committing a mortal sin by not going to mass and they're exposing themselves and therefore their life being threatened that is a situation i will not ever allow to happen yeah yeah i just will not do it and everybody else who's not threatened who is not medically you know um in a situation where they're predisposed to the virus then they have to reflect when they feel comfortable coming. But those who are most vulnerable in our midst should not ever feel that they have to choose between threatening their life and, and, and worshiping the Lord. Yeah. yeah. It's so I've, antithetical to Christian faith. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. I have, a, I have a friend who recently posted online that uh, if you're going out to dinner, if you're going to get together with other people, if your kids are playing sports, you should probably be getting to Mass. <laughs> Uh, and if I remember the post, he also said, um, it, he ended his post by saying something along the lines of, how small is your faith? Hmm. He and I had a conversation about that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, yep. so if, if you're listening and you have a question for Bishop Frank... Send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. May the Lord bless you. May he protect you. May he grant you his consoling peace. And may the blessing of Almighty God, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Thank, Thank you, Steve. See you All next right. week, my friend. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you.